So we're starting this new series uh, called The Difference Jesus Makes. And uh, one of the things I've been thinking about recently, and this is a theory that I have, and, and it, you can correct me because theories can be corrected, right? They're just ponderings, trying to figure things out, and you develop this idea around something to try and make sense. And so this theory that I have is this, that there are two things that really tell us a lot about someone. And probably there's more, but there's two things that inadvertently tell us a lot about someone. And that is this, where you leave the shopping cart when you go shopping, and if you keep your high beams on when you're driving on the highway and it's busy. What it's taught me is that people who leave shopping carts wherever, usually like the parking space, you think, oh, it's a clear parking space, I'm really excited. And the people who leave their high beams on when they're driving like right at you in the dark are people who don't really care about you and really care about themselves. Because they think that maybe it's unintentional, but they think that whatever they're going through in that moment is of priority. And so they will keep their high beams on because they want to see as much as they can, as long, and they don't care that you can't see. And they keep the shopping cart wherever they want because, well, they're in a rush, and you're not, right? So these are two inadvertent things. This is my theory. These are two inadvertent things that tell us a lot about an individual. And now this isn't meant to shame you if you keep your high beams on or you leave carts places. That's not it. But maybe, maybe we can think about why we do those things. But sometimes when we have people in our lives who do things, whether it's inadvertent or intentional, that make us feel like we don't matter, that can start to be absorbed in our self. Maybe it's a consistency of people doing things that would be so simple for them to do, but are of great inconvenience to you, that you go, wow, they don't really care about me. Maybe it's in your workplace where every day you come in to get coffee, and every day the coffee pot's empty. And you think, why didn't somebody just make some more? Or maybe it's in your family where every day your children use about a billion dishes and leave them in the sink every day. There are things we do that demonstrate to other people inadvertently what we think about them. And sometimes when we keep getting those things happening to us, we start to internalize it and go, I guess they don't care. Or you start to define yourself by the things that are happening to you. Some of us have had very difficult situations in our lives where people have said things repeatedly to us, maybe repeatedly told us we aren't valuable, we aren't worth their time, we aren't loved, and we start to internalize that and go, well, I'm not lovable, I'm not this, I'm not that. And we form this identity around all those things that people do or say to us, but is that really who we are? And how do we break that? Sometimes it can be so damaging that we just never think anything good of ourselves. You're not meant to be stuck there. And that's one of the differences that Jesus can make. The difference that Jesus can make is around our identity. And what we're going to be doing for the next two weeks is a very short series on one of the shortest books in the Bible. But it is a powerful book. It's the book of Philemon. Now, Philemon, if you quickly flip through your Bible, you will miss it. That's how short it is. It's like 300 some odd words. And we're going to read the whole thing this morning. And it's one of those 
letters in the New Testament that could easily be overlooked and thought, well, that's not that important to us. But I think there's a lot in this tiny letter about who we are and who other people are and how we view and treat each other. So for two weeks, we're going to be exploring what the Apostle Paul is going to be saying. This is the difference that in a practical way in your life, Jesus makes. So let's talk about Philemon a little. But first, before we do that, I want to kind of reiterate something that I've been saying for years here, and hopefully it's, it's sunk in for some of us, is how do we read our Bible? Sometimes when we read our Bibles, we read them and we don't like what we read. And understandably, right? Because it's written and you were thinking, oh, these words, I don't like these things. And that's okay, I get that. But when we come to reading Scripture, when we read it, we need to remember certain things. One is that it was not written to you, but it's for your use. Especially the letters in the New Testament are occasional documents, meaning they were written for an occasion, even though they are timeless. So there's something going on that the author of the letter wants to address and say, this is the difference Jesus makes in this scenario. And there are some things that are directly parallel to our lives, where we go, yeah, that's exactly what I'm going through. But most of it is not, because it happened 2,000 years ago. So there are principles we can get from them and apply to our lives when it comes to following Jesus. We can't take things directly. We have to build a bridge of understanding. And so sometimes when we come to these occasional letters that are written in a context, in a very specific culture that is not ours, we can get alarmed at some of the language that gets used. And we don't always fully understand it. This is going to be one of those letters that a lot of people, because I've had these conversations, will dismiss and say, this is awful. How could they do this? How could they say these things? Or why didn't they say these things? And they do that because they look at it from today and not from back then first. Our standards are different than their standards. So we have to understand it in their standards. So in saying all that, let's talk about Philemon. Philemon is a short letter, about 300 words, with three main characters. You have Philemon, you have Paul, and you have Onesimus. Paul, most of us are familiar with. Paul is the apostle. So he had this conversion experience with Jesus. He was persecuting the church. He was persecuting followers of Jesus. He had this Damascus Road experience we read about in the book of Acts, where he encounters Jesus, the risen Jesus, through vision, and his life changes forever. And he shifts from being this persecutor, this, this guy who hated followers of Jesus, to this guy who is encouraging and building up churches and converting people to following Jesus. And then you have Philemon. Philemon is a wealthy man. He lives in Colossae, and he is one of the leaders in one of the house churches there. So there's a letter, Colossians, Paul wrote. He was writing to the church that Philemon was part of. As one of the leaders, he was very wealthy. People would gather in his house. That's where churches would gather in those days. And so that's where their community was. It wouldn't be in a building like this. And then you have Onesimus. And this letter is really about Onesimus. 
Onesimus is a slave. And Onesimus has done something to Philemon. Now, we don't know exactly what that is. Likely what the case is, is he stole something from Philemon, and he ran away. And as he ran away, he ran to the Apostle Paul. Because he wanted to go to Paul and said, Paul, tell Philemon to be nice to me. Because in his context, in his culture, in his day, Onesimus had no rights. And his rights were given up because he was a slave. We don't know how he became a slave. Slavery is very different in that world than what we think about slavery today. It's not the colonial slavery that we're most familiar with. This form of slavery has some similarities. Sometimes it was when you raided a country, you would, whoever survived, you brought them back to your country and they were your slaves. But oftentimes there were also people who sold themselves into slavery because they were poor. Because the reality was, in the first century Roman world, if you had money, you had slaves. And if you didn't have money, you likely were a slave. That was their world. Not ours, theirs. And we need to understand that context. And so Onesimus has no rights as a slave. Philemon can do whatever he wants. Typically, if a slave wrongs you, he has the right to kill them. Or if he's generous, just beat them till they're nearly dead. Onesimus knows this. He goes to Paul and tries to appeal to him, please tell him not to kill me. Tell him to be nice to me. In the meantime, Onesimus converts to be a follower of Jesus. In his conversation with Paul, however it came about, he becomes a follower of Jesus. And so it's in these moments that Paul is going to write to Philemon. And we're going to read this letter and maybe be a little surprised at what Paul says. But what we're going to try to understand about it is what Paul actually says about who we are. Now, another thing to, a little caveat here. The word slave, again, is something that kind of triggers something in us because we're used to hearing that word in a certain context and understanding. Some of us have an ancestry that has been very affected by slavery. Actually, all of us do in some different ways. But the word that gets used in Greek is this word doulos. This word doulos is equally translated to servant. And so it's not always as severe as we may think it to be. It's slave or servant. And that word gets used interchangeably to be the same thing as somebody who is like a maid or a butler to someone who is a prisoner of war. And so there's some confusion sometimes around it. The other thing that gets confusing is Paul actually uses that word to describe us and says we are supposed to be douloses for Christ. Servants, slaves, people who commit all of their rights aside and say we are followers of Jesus. So just try and keep those things in mind. Now, I know it's a lot. But let's read Philemon. It starts like this. says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. So at this point in time, Paul is actually physically in prison. He's writing this letter from prison. Timothy, who... If you're familiar with your New Testament, is an apprentice of Paul. He's one of his followers. He's one of the church leaders that he's kind of developed and helped grow. And at this moment, Timothy is with him learning while Paul is in prison. 
says, To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's a typical kind of greeting that he has in his letter. He says, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. So Paul is saying these complimentary things as he writes to this church leader and says, I hear all this great stuff about you, and I am encouraged by it, and I love it. And let's keep that in mind as he keeps writing. He says, therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent. And so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason... He was separated from you for a little while was to, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand, and I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Paphras, my, follow, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends your, you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So this tiny letter Paul writes is very direct. He writes it to a very wealthy man within his context, who is a leader in his church, and says, I know what rights you have to hurt this person, to harm them, to seek retribution, but I appeal to you. Don't. And don't view them the way you viewed them before. They are now a brother. Philemon didn't have to listen, and we don't really know what happens in the story. But Philemon didn't have to listen to Paul. 
I would like to believe that he did, and that when Onesimus came back, he welcomed him, just as Paul requested, not as a servant, as a slave, but as a brother, as family. That would be my hope, and that's my trust in the Scripture, that he would allow Jesus to change his perspective on how things work. But what Paul is doing is he's writing to this man and appealing to him to live a life that follows Jesus, to live out the gospel. And how we live out the gospel is a change in perspective in how we see other people. In a world, in Paul's world, that is really built on slavery, basically every common worker was a slave, and then the rich were the rich, to abolish slavery in that context would have been near impossible. So Paul reframes it and says, don't view people by how they're described by society or how they're defined by their cultural situation or their economics or their job or how they've been treated by others. And he says, see them as Jesus sees them, essentially. Paul is basically inviting Onesimus to live out the letter that he wrote to this church in Colossae. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul writes this to the church, starting in verse 1. He says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to earthly nature, sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You choose to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices. And I've put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. But Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Paul wrote this letter to that church that Philemon was a part of and a leader in. And he said, you don't view people in a worldly way anymore, but in Christ, we are in Christ and all have commonality, equality within it. So it doesn't matter that Onesimus was a slave, whether he sold himself into slavery, whether he was a captured slave, whether he was a child of a slave, so he was forced into it. Whatever the situation happened, we can look at it in our perspective and say that was wrong, he shouldn't have been that, and we can agree on that. But in their world, he was. And Paul's saying, don't see him that way anymore. He's not defined by that. He's your brother, your family, 
And therefore, don't treat them like you would treat someone who you have every legal right to treat. Treat them better. Paul appeals to Philemon to humble himself, to not take the power that he rightfully, in his possible view, would say he has because the society and the culture has said he has, but to humble himself and to treat someone who he had every right to not treat well as a brother. And Paul also elevates Onesimus to say, you're not a slave, you're a brother. That in Christ, their identity has changed. There's no master-slave context anymore. There's no slave-free, there's no Jew-Gentile. All are in Christ. And so in the first century world, what Paul does is incredibly radical. For us, we might say, wow, he really should have just said, don't, don't have slaves. And we can agree on that. But in his world, what he does is incredibly radical, and we need to see it in that context. Because what he says is you are not defined by how the society has defined you. You're not defined by your job. You're not defined by your family of origin. You're not defined by your culture of origin. You're not defined by uh, where you grew up. You're not defined by how much money you have. You're not defined by any of those things. But practically speaking, in Christ, you are brothers and sisters. And you're equal in that. This is completely countercultural in his day and in ours. That you are not what everybody says you are. So no matter how much someone has said stuff that maybe has diminished you, maybe people have told you you're not worth their time, that you're not worthwhile, that you're no good, that's not true. In Christ, you are, as I've said before, God's masterpiece, created for good works in Christ Jesus. You are more than what people say about you. You are more than what people have defined you as. You are in Christ. This is a gift from God to re-understand who we are as people. And so in Paul's letter to Philemon, he is redefining what it means to be a person, that they're not defined by whatever standards people put on them, but in Christ, you are in Christ, and that's how you are to be seen. No matter what people have said about you, It's not true. Listen to God and his instruction to you. You are his masterpiece. You are made for more than you understand. And as we look at Philemon, it's easy to get bogged down in this imagery and the reality of slave culture that they had. But there's also an invitation to practically apply what is ultimately true. In Christ, you are made new. You are a masterpiece, and you can live like that, even if nobody else recognizes it. This morning, we get to celebrate communion together. And when we celebrate communion, it is recognizing that Jesus' death and resurrection is an invitation to this new life, this new definition of who you are. That you're invited to life in all of its fullness, and that in Christ, you are made new.